In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to start off with something that might be shocking. God is different from us. Plain and simple. God is different from us. And although we were created and are created <clears throat> in the image of God, God, however, does things that we often find surprising. Time and again, we are puzzled, and we find ourselves scratching our heads and wondering, why did God do it that way? Or we say, God does think, God works in mysterious ways. How is God working and moving in our lives today and now? So what's going on here? This morning's gospel is a good example of that. Why was Jesus so angry that he had what could best be described as a temper tantrum? He had managed to deal calmly with numerous public attacks and tricky questions before. So what was it that finally set him off? One possible explanation is contained in our reading from Exodus. And remember, God is not like anything else in human experience. And this is abundantly clear from the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Moses and his thousands of followers have left Egypt and its whole collection of gods. And now they are to have but one. And this is a big one. Not only must they have no other gods, but they may make no physical representation of this god to use in worship. That make for yourself no idols commandment. Now think about this for a second. These people have never had a temple for this god. Even in the time of Abraham, their ancestor who worshipped God with great faithfulness, there was never more than an open-air altar constructed of gathered stones. That was the most that they ever had of a temple or a place of worship or a representation that that was a holy place. So this generation was accustomed to the idols and temples of Egypt. They worshipped the worship culture around them, assumed the magnificence of a temple the gold of the idol, the jewels that adorned it, that all of these things demonstrate, demonstrated the power and authority of the deity. God obviously has great power, and after all, it is God who has gathered them together under Moses' leadership. It is God who has persuaded Pharaoh through the infliction of the plagues to let them go. It is God who has delivered them from the angel of death in the night of the Passover. And it is God who has parted the waters of the Red Sea, allowing them to cross on dry land and causing the waters to close back up, drowning Pharaoh's mighty army. Surely any God who would be this powerful would want rich symbols displayed out for his worship. Yet here is a God who not only says no to these, this human compulsion, but forbids it outright. The next commandment is a bit confusing. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, 
for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. And it is not clear what exactly constitutes wrongful use. But one might assume that the use of God's name for personal advantage or gain would qualify, as would invoking that name to curse or condemn. Our next commandment is directly countercultural. It is interesting that it requires the longest explanation. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it goes on to say exactly what you can and cannot do. And if we ever need evidence that God's rules are different from those of the world, here it is. To refuse to work on the Sabbath day looks foolish in the eyes of the world. It means we forego any income to be gained from that day's effort. God is commanding us to rest just as God rested on the seventh day. So in biblical times, this was crazy. It took an everyday effort to produce enough to survive and thrive in those lands. In Egypt, farmers knew you had to work as the weather directed. What if the seventh day is just the bright, sunny one you have been waiting to plant, cultivate, or harvest? God commands that we rest regardless of the circumstances, trusting that God will provide. So there we are. God has commanded his chosen people have to have only one God, not the dozens like the surrounding cultures. There can be no magnificent gold, bejeweled idols. They must use the name of God carefully, and every seventh day it is to be given over as a holy day of rest. It is no wonder that these people were viewed with skepticism by their neighbors. It would appear that God intends to make them a peculiar people indeed. However, if they are to be a witness to the world of God's presence and nature, one might expect that they would appear peculiar to those around them. If they are to lead the world to the knowledge and love of God, they must look and live differently from the culture of the ordinary and the everyday. They must reflect the nature of God rather than the nature of the world. So this brings us back to Jerusalem as Passover draws near and to Jesus standing in the temple. It is important to remember that he has spent his ministry traveling in smaller towns. The scribes and Pharisees have made it clear to Jesus that Jerusalem, the center of their power and influence, is a dangerous place for him. Nevertheless, it is the center of religious life, and the temple is the most sacred of places, the holiest of holies. And in the natural world, that he would want to be there in spite of the risks is telling. One would expect it to embody all that invokes the holiest of feelings. In a people set apart, commanded to behave in peculiar ways, one would expect no less. Yet what Jesus finds is no different from the street outside the temple gates. 
Some scholars say that his outrage came from the dishonest commerce going on. Animals offered for ritual sacrifice had to meet rigid requirements. Those purchased from appro approved temple vendors were guaranteed to be acceptable. Those brought from home may not be. Purchases could only be made with temple currency. It had been suggested that both the sacrifice acceptance policies and the required currency exchanges were opportunities for corruption that created scandal and additional burden to the poor. These abuses would have given Jesus adequate cause for his rage, but he may have had reason enough without them. Quite simply, this holy place looked just like a marketplace. What should have been a model of another way of living, of relating to one another, an example of God's way, had become different, no different, from the way of the world. The model of God had become the mimic of man. As Christians, we are called to be witness to our neighbors, not their clones. If our lives are no different from those of unbelievers, what is the point of believing? Let me say that again. If our lives are no different than those of unbelievers, what is the point of believing? If the ways in which we conduct our affairs in the church are indistinguishable from the ways of commerce, how can we accomplish the words of the Lord's Prayer when we ask God's help in that thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Our baptismal covenant calls us to be peculiar in the eyes of the world. Our presence in this worship affirms our desire to do so in order to affirm Christ's presence in the world today. It is not an easy task, but it is a task of such importance that it gives our lives a richness of meaning and purpose that transcends anything offered by the world. The history of the world, and especially our religious history, suggests that sin can always pull us from our best intentions. We will continue to be tempted to think churches should be run more like businesses instead of suggesting that business would be better run more like church. We will look for salvation in places where we're really never going to be satisfied. Perhaps in exercise and yoga and cycling and the things that people are at right now instead of being present in worship. We will look for salvation in how we eat and in following the habits of so-called successful people instead of the holy habits of prayer, Sabbath-keeping, offerings, and worship. In the face of such behavior, remember the energy with which Jesus made a whip of cords and drove the animals out of the temple. Take comfort from the spectacle of him overturning the tables of the money changers. Know that this same strength, courage, and righteousness uphold us every day of our lives.
And as we confront the challenges of this Christian life in our times, God in Christ is present so that we too can exclaim, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.